Hi, my name is Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders here at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. For more information about us, please visit citychurchleads.net or find us on all the usual social media websites. Take care and enjoy what's coming up. Just bring you greetings from my wife and, and kids this morning and all the church family at Airedale. It's just uh, we had Mark with us yesterday, a leader setting in the church there. It's just great to have this working relationship across the two churches and I think we're going to have a wonderful weekend next weekend for those who are going on the weekend away. A lot of fun. Okay. Turn me to Matthew chapter 6, please. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. You know, many, many preachers and teachers would consider being asked to speak on tithing to be a bit of a short straw. Um, not me, I think this whole topic is, is much uh, bigger than we think it is. Um, and as Mark said earlier, it's to do with our heart. I'm so excited that you broke bread today because it kind of fits in with something I want to share in line with tithing. Um, when you find Mark, Matthew 6, uh, just take a moment to find that, and I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you for every single person in this room. Father, I thank you that you care about every aspect of their lives. And uh, Father, I thank you that you are a good and generous God. Father, I pray that we would uh, have a new revelation of you today, of your plans, of your purposes, and our response to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 6, just going to read a few verses from there. Verse 19 through to 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's read that again, the last verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we start talking about money in the church context, or we start talking about tithing or giving or anything like that, there's immediately a number of reactions that happen. Some people are like, well, hey, I'm up for it. And some people make an extra padlock on the wallet. But wherever you sit today, I want you to know that there's something for you to be empowered by in this message today. And um, I believe that the whole issue of giving and of tithing is all to do with the heart. And guess what? Every issue that we look at as Christians is to do with the heart, the state of our heart, the core of who we are. When we talk about the heart from a scriptural perspective, we're not talking about an organ that pumps with blood. We're talking about the core of a person. When the Bible talks about the soul, they're talking about the core of a person. Even sometimes when the Bible uses the phrase mind, it's talking about the core of who somebody is rather than the intellect. And therefore, when we see these words in the scripture, heart, soul, mind, God is really addressing the core of who we are in our character, in our life, and in our attitude. You know, there's an old adage that says, our attitude determines our altitude. And I really believe that heart attitude towards the things of God is so important. You know, sometimes church leaders are very happy when people tithe and are consistent in that and give 10%. But I believe that God is very, very happy 
when people have a heart to be tithers with everything in their life. <clears throat> that they, they've found something uh, of a revelation of the gener generosity of God, that it's not just uh, marking off 10% down to a certain digit every month to give to the church reluctantly, but it's actually a lifestyle of service, a lifestyle of sacrifice. Why? Because the one, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has already sacrificed everything for us, and therefore it's simply a response to that. You know, <clears throat> there's um, a number of things on the internet about tithing, and how tithing is not this, and tithing is Old Testament. Can I just say something about the Old Testament? The Old Testament Paul the Apostle says the Old Testament is there for our instruction. It's not there to sort of just uh, fill a bit of a few pages in, in the Bible because they couldn't think of anything else to put in there. It's actually very, very important. And the best interpretation of the Old Testament is not some pet theologian on the internet, but it's the New Testament. So the New Testament writers are the best interpretation of the Old Testament. And therefore, we're going to look at both New Old Testament and New Testament scriptures today around this issue. But I wanted to start by saying that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Paul talks about the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. He talks in Colossians 3 about set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, because you've been seated with Christ in heaven, and therefore set your mind on the way heaven works. And it's really important that when we come to such a... a a neutral entity as money that can cause wars and can cause divisions in family and can cause all sorts of awful trafficking across the earth if it's used wrongly, but in itself it's a neutral entity. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's how a human being's heart attitude is towards money that causes that substance to be used either for good or for ill. And, um, and I believe that we've got a group of people here who want to use every resource that God gives them for the extension of His kingdom and for the extension of the gospel. And uh, I believe tithing is not just even about money. It's about time. It's about service. It's about heart. It's about life in the kingdom. It's interesting that the word tithe simply means tenth. The number ten in the Bible in biblical numerology is the number for the kingdom. And the whole essence of this thing that God wants to bring about, this idea of tithing that's been so attacked, is really only partly to do with money. You know, God is not that interested in money. Why? Because He has a lot of it. He paves His streets with gold, if you read the book of Revelation. He isn't that interested in money. You know, we pave our streets with concrete. I don't know anybody who has a, a great fixation on concrete, uh, you know, and loves concrete. But, but God paints his streets with gold. I, I recently, because my son likes Peppa Pig, have you ever, uh, yeah, there's, there's a particular, um, particular episode of Peppa Pig where Daddy Pig goes to the library and has a book on the joys of concrete. And it's a great episode. I would, I would, I would love you to enjoy it. And basically, he has this fixation with concrete, and he, he has this library book out for many, many years because he has this fixation on concrete. And sometimes as human beings, we can have a fixation on money, but from God's perspective, it's as important as concrete. It's just not that important. What's important is heart. That's what's important. And um, 
I just want to say that the best place to start looking at this whole study on tithing is the place it's first mentioned in the Scripture, which is Genesis 14. So would you turn there with me, please? Genesis chapter 14. So, we pick up Genesis 14, and it's kind of, it's probably something we can't reflect on and understand, because it's a war in the Middle East, lots of different factions coming together, um, and lots of atrocities t- being uh, committed, and um, it's probably, you know, because in the Bible it's something we can't relate to in our modern time. Oh, yeah, we can. And, and, and the thing is, it, right in the middle of this thing that's going on that affects the whole world, because this, this war that was going on right now was affecting the whole world, God decides to put this story about tithing in there. It's kind of a bit strange, really, but God is, is, is kind of out of the box, isn't he? in a lot of ways. And we have this situation where Abram's family, his uh, church, if you will, he's called out once because Abram was a Hebrew, and the word Hebrew means to be called from the other side. So we see an example in Genesis, really, of the first called out ones, the first ecclesia, which was Abram and his family and his extended family into all the people that worked and served alongside Abram. And what happened is that one of Abram's family was caught up in this war and was probably being used as a, um, it was being kidnapped. And, oh, my word. That fell. Probably being used as, um, as, as, as basically a, uh, somebody's being kidnapped and they were going to be asking a ransom because they knew Abram was rich. And uh, Abram decided instead of to pay the ransom to do an SAS job and take his whole household and... Uh, get this hostage back. And we pick up the story where basically the victory has been won over five kings and five armies by Abram and his household. Can you think just for a moment, five kings and all their armies and a group of people probably numbering about 400 in all, defeating five kings and their armies. That's supernatural right there. And they were able to deal with the situation. And one of the kings who was involved in the wider conflict uh, that was going on at the time met Abram. And we're going to pick up the story where one of these kings meets Abram and then another king comes into the situation. So if you go to Genesis 14 and we'll go for, where should we start from? Let's... Let's go to verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shepher, that is the valley of the kings, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Just to give you some background, I like history, so forgive me if you don't, but this Chedorlaomer is possibly, a lot of Hebrew scholars believe, he was actually Nimrod that the Bible talks about earlier in, I think it's Genesis 11, around that point. And Nimrod, he says he was a mighty hunter on the earth. And we kind of, he's changed his name a little bit. And now we pick him up at the end of his life. He doesn't say he's a mighty hunter on the earth, but he's still involved in war. His heart was always for war. Interestingly, he was the founder of Babylon. And Babylon in the Bible stands for everything that's opposed to the kingdom of God. It stands for man-made, man's way, not God's way. And this king was one of the kings that was involved in this battle. Anyway, 
verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That's what happened this morning. A priest in the order of Melchizedek, any one of us bringing bread and wine to celebrate our priest, Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, and his ultimate victory, and the fact that in Hebrews it says that Jesus comes as we receive the bread and wine and remember his death, he comes to dispense to us as our king absolute life or indestructible life. That's what Hebrews 7 says. God wants to give us indestructible life. So this Melchizedek came in the midst of this conversation going on between the king of Sodom and Abram. And the king of Sodom was trying to say, look, I'm going to, I, I want to do a bargain with you, Abram. I want to make you rich. I want to make you influential beyond your wildest dreams. Just give me the souls, or the people, some translations say, and, and, and I'll give you all the money. Give me the souls, and I'll give you all the money. I'll make you rich. I'll make you more successful, famous than you can possibly imagine. Can you get in the midst of what's going on on earth, there's something going on in the spiritual in this story. There's something going on beyond what we can uh, perceive in the physical. You've got a, an encounter with God's man Abram being tempted by a, a king that represented the world's way of doing things, represented everything that was an antithesis to what God wanted to do. In fact, his name is Bera which means in evil or in dysfunction. So this king of Sodom, literally he, his name means dysfunctional. So here is everything that's worldly and dysfunctional offering Abram the chance to be rich, the chance to be famous, the chance to count for something. You know, I have to have a, a confession I've got, I have to make. I do occasionally watch The X Factor, forgive me. <clears throat> but, but it's just really interesting when, when you do watch it. I don't watch it because I, I love Simon Cowell. I watch it because I'm interested in people. And it's so interesting when you hear people's heart, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says, why they want to have their 15 minutes of fame. They want a better life. There's nothing wrong with that. They want to be out of poverty. There's nothing wrong with that. They want to do something for their children. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are all good ambitions. But the problem is the only thing the world can offer is that kind of way to do it, that kind of way to be successful, that kind of way to be at peace. If I just have this, I'll be at rest. If I just achieve this, I'll find what I'm looking for. Well, actually, in Christ, we find everything we look, look for, and a song I'm constantly playing in the car at the moment from a new album from Hillsongs is this, Calvary has covered it all. I love that statement. Calvary, what our king priest did, Jesus Christ at Calvary, has covered it all. That's every single aspect of our life is covered by our high priest, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. And Abram had this revelation when this king was tempting him to do it the world's way, make this bargain. It's interesting when you look at the Hebrew of what Bera was asking Abram, when he says, give me the souls, a couple of translations, Hebrew translations say this, he was, he was asking for his soul. 
He was saying, give me your soul and the souls of those in this battle, and I will give you the money. It's interesting, Jesus said in one part of the Gospels, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? So here's this temptation. And, 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 and in the midst of this temptation, a priest that represents God came in. Isn't that amazing? You know, in the midst of the worst times that you can possibly go through, the most temp- times of temptation, times of weakness, times when you feel like you've got big decisions to make, guess what? God is always there. And he's always there with an alternative, and he's always there with an answer. He's always there with a rescue plan. And here, Melchizedek comes with bread and wine, which is a symbol of covenant. He comes with bread and wine, which in those days was a symbol of a victory feast given to the victor after a battle. When we take bread and wine, it's not a somber remembering of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a victory meal. That's why the enemy loves to put it all somber. and all. It's a victory meal. We're celebrating what Christ has achieved on our behalf at the cross. The reason we are more than conquerors is because he's a conqueror, and we didn't have to conquer in order to be who we are in him. He's done it for us, and that's why we are more than conquerors. I'm getting a bit shouty. Forgive me. I, I, sometimes shouty preachers annoy me. They may be annoying you today, but just to say this to you, hear my heart. I'm just excited about this stuff. So bread and wine. He brings bread and wine. And something happens in this interaction of this priest ministering to Abram. He didn't bring a load of dosh, a load of gold. He brought bread and wine. He brought symbols of an eternal covenant. He says, look, your life is more important. You are not the sum of everything you own. You are eternally much more important than that. And I'm bringing bread and wine to show that you've been bought with something that's precious. And your destiny is bigger than what you have in your pocket. And your life is more eternal than what qualifications you have, what people think of you, what economic value people will place upon you. You are more than that. You are precious to the Most High. And your name is spoken in heaven. So I'm just offering you that, Abram. I'm offering you quite a lot, really. I'm offering you more than this dysfunctional king who's offering you a deal to sell your soul to the highest bidder. Look, listen to what Abram says. This is verse 19. And he blessed him. This is Melchizedek blessing Abram. So let's move on. 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. You notice as he raised his hand, you know, sometimes in court when we swear, we, well, I've not been in court, we raise our hands. But you know, sometimes in worship, don't we, we raise our hands, and some Christians don't like to raise their hands in worship, and some churches don't raise their hands, and that's fine. But the reason we do it is, number one, it's a universal value of we are opening ourselves up to our Father, but it's also a covenant action. In worship, I'm saying to you, God, that I'm yours. Everything I have is yours. Why? Because you have already given yourself to me, and therefore I'm acknowledging that. So I've raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. 
that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will, take, I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And during this, this moment of this saying that I'm going to make, I'm not going to have anybody make me rich but God in life, Abram gives a tithe to Melchizedek. He gives a tenth of the spoils. And that's the first mention of this thing that's been so misunderstood in the church to the point where church, churches on their website say, we don't believe tithing is mandatory. And you don't have to tithe if you come to this church. You know, if, as a church leader, if I was to put on my website, you don't have to, come, you don't have to tithe to come to this church. You know what I'm going to find? A lot of people coming in, they're going to cause a lot of problem into the church. Because if we, if we get to a place where it's the lowest common denominator, that, that we, we, we water down what we believe to try and attract, what's the point in what we believe? There's just no point to it. And this is an age of being PC gone mad. And when we're looking at tithing, we're looking at heart issues. So tithing is not mandatory. Absolutely it's not mandatory. It's a heart issue. It's a heart decision. Giving is a heart decision. It's not mandatory. You won't find pressure in this church group to give and to tithe, and you won't be thrown out if you don't, and all the other things that have gone on in the past. But just because something's been abused in the past doesn't make it wrong. Just because there's a few athletes in the Olympic that takes drugs, we don't stop the whole Olympics. And there's something that God wants us to understand from this, because I believe the whole way the kingdom of God is going to function on the earth, let me just say the kingdom of God is to function on the earth. Guess what? In the earth, you need money. In fact, Ecclesiastes says that money answers all things. So therefore, at some point, we've got to get over ourselves and start talking realistically about money in the church context. It's a heart issue. And he says, I'm not going to make anybody else, I'm not going to let anybody else make me rich but God. The word rich there is, is far beyond money. It's not talking about, you know, somebody can be very rich but very, have a lack of prosperity in their life. It's interesting when you look into chapter 15 in Genesis, it says, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. So the next time meets God, after making this vow to God that I'm not going to anybody else make me rich, I'm given a tithe of all. The next encounter he has with God is a revelation from God, hey, don't be afraid, kick the fear out of your life, because this entire world system works on fear. And if you have fear in your heart, you'll never learn to be generous. Because it'll always be saving up for a rainy day. There's nothing wrong with saving, saving's a good thing, but it's what you're saving for. Because if you're saving for a rainy day, guess what, you're going to have a lot of them. But if you save him for a purpose, that's great. And he says this, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. You know that phrase, again, if you study that out, literally means I am your sponsor or I am your great wages. 
He's basically saying, I am your source. And when you look at Abram's life and you see the way that God um, responded to Abram and revealed himself to Abram, one of the ways in which God revealed himself to Abram was as El Shaddai, the, the God of your supply. The, 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 this, this idea in God that God wants to be our source. And Jesus picks this up in, in Matthew's gospel around some of the things we read earlier. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you, what you eat or drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't you realize that you are more than these things? Don't you realize that, that your father need, knows what you need before you ask him? That's the key, the father. You see, if we have an orphan mentality, we will never learn to be generous because we'll always be fearful in our heart to step out. And we'll put theology around it. I've got good theology why I can continue to be an orphan and continue to be in fear. I've got good theology why I'm not giving a penny. I've got good theology why I'm not giving my time. But it's not good theology. It's rubbish theology. Get rid of it. Because what God is after is your heart. Because he's given us his heart. And <clears throat> that's what this tither thing is all about. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, he addresses the tithing issue because the Pharisees were so legalistic on tithing that they were even taking their garden herbs and they were taking a percentage of those garden herbs and giving them and feeling good about it. I even tithe down to my garden herbs. I feel morally satisfied. And Jesus says, the fact is, that this issue is, is important, but it's not import, as important as love, justice, and mercy. And if there's love, justice, and mercy in your heart, there'll be tithing in your heart as well. He says, don't neglect tithing, but, but the motivation for doing it should not be fear. It should not be uh, you feel controlled by those over you in the Lord to do it. It's a heart response to a God who's given everything for you. Beyond that, I believe this whole process of tithing under grace is a way in which that the church can operate. You know, I believe very strongly that the church needs those who take a leadership to it. And those, as the Bible says, who live off the gospel. Some of my life in church leadership, I've lived fully off the gospel in terms of being supported by the local church. Some of the times I've been in, in full-time and part-time employment in order to be involved in the church and still lead in the church. And just from my experience, let me say this to you. It is far, it's not easy, but it's easier to fulfill what God has called me to do as a shepherd, as a pastor, when I'm full-time than when I'm not full-time. And I believe it's the same You've got in the church here Mark and Kathy who uh, are full-time in the church. And I would say to the trustees here and, and the church at large, make sure that uh, they're well cared for because I believe they do a good job. Now, he's not, he's not going to give me £100 later for saying that or £1,000 later for saying that. I'm, it's just off my own back saying that. Sometimes somebody else coming in and saying these things rather than the local leadership is helpful because... If you don't like me, you've still got people to like here. You don't have to see me again for a few months. Unless you come into the weekend away next week and you can throw me in the river at Bassenfell if you're not happy with what I say. 
just try to lift me up. <laughs> but my point is that this, this tithing thing is, is a way in which the church can function. In fact, Paul says, look, you know, the, 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 the ministers and the, the people in the, in, who work in the gospel, your leaders amongst you, especially those who, who labor in teaching and preaching and training, they're worthy of double honor. They don't need to have the care of their own finances on top of the care of the church. And just go to one scripture. Go to me, go to me with uh, 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm just going through a whole load of notes quickly and picking out the best bits. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So this is a discussion about various things, and Paul is... He was a leader in the church in Corinth for a number of years locally, not just apostolically itinerant, but he was local as well for a season of time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this about this whole issue. He says in verse 9, quoting from the Old Testament, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written. He who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? It's kind of really in your face, this. That was my adage to it. If others are partaking of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel. There are times when leaders, as I've done in my life, make the decision in order to birth a church or to establish it, they'll still work to tr- full-time or part-time to do that. But when the church is established, and this church has been established long ago, it won't hinder the gospel to have people shepherding the people. And it goes on to say this, Verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the, of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, but I have not used none of these things, nor have I written these things so I can get an offering, okay? That's the basic paraphrase for that. But he's making the equation between the Levitical priesthood that's finished now because we're under the milk priesthood of Melchizedek, according to Hebrews chapter 7. But he's using the equation of how that priesthood, that those Levites functioned, and how modern-day church ministry needs to function. And it's okay to use that equation because it's in the New Testament. And he's interpreting the Old Testament and using that equation. Are you with me so far? So he's basically saying that there's a way that people living on the gospel need some support from the wider body, and it's similar to the way that the Levites had it in the Old Testament. When you look at the Levites, they didn't own any land because they were so, they, they, they couldn't build up their own portfolio and own career uh, and, and go around, you know, building big businesses or having a good career path in life uh, because they were given to the work of God in the temple. And, you know, 
Many of us that, that go into ministry, we, we could have done other things. But there is a call and a desire to give life in that way. And way beyond time of we ever got supported for it, we were doing it anyway. Whether we got support or not. But the point is, he makes this equation with the Old Testament priesthood. And he says there needs to be some kind of system where those who live off the gospel receive from it. And that is in the New Testament. And time and time again, we see, even though the word tithe is not mentioned a great deal in the New Testament, these little glimpses of a new priesthood being set up, which we're all a part of, but within that, there's those who live off the gospel, and they need our support. So when you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, you have all this dialogue in there about the Melchizedek priesthood, and it talks about tithing, in that chapter, we haven't got time to go into it today because I've already gone too long. But it says that Abram tithed. It says that Levi, his, one of his, uh, who would come way after him, but in his family line, that Levi received great blessing because Abram tithed. You know, tithing produces generational blessing. Having a heart after God produces blessing over your own seed. As well as that, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, hopefully you can read that whole portion yourself. It's quite a long portion of Scripture. It says that here men receive the tithe, men generic. But there he receives it. Jesus receives it. So I want to rewind to what I was saying right at the beginning. Can you see what happens when you have this desire of heart to bring a tithe to the work of God, yeah, men may receive it on earth, but from Christ's perspective, he receives it in heaven. He receives it in heaven. He receives the act of worship in heaven. And you know, you may be sitting there thinking, well, Jeff, you know, financially, I just do not know how I I will be able to give 10% of my income away or even more. I'm going through a hard time. Can I suggest to you it starts with a heart? So I'm not looking or demanding you to start changing everything about your finances today. I'm asking you to go away before the Lord and say, okay, God, help me to understand this issue, not just through a secondary source. Let me look at the Scriptures and let me understand your heart for this and let me make a decision thereon. So it may be that you start giving more of your time to the things of God. It may be more service within the community. It may be that you start giving a percentage of, that you've never given before. But start somewhere. Start somewhere. And let God bless you as you do it because there's blessing in it. Well, Jeff, are you saying, like I've heard it preached from Malachi, that if you don't tithe, you're under the curse? No. I'm not saying that at all because... Galatians says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. So whether we tithe or not, we're not under that curse. But what I would say, every blessing that's associated with giving and tithing right the way through the Bible is a promise to us. And if we do it, that is yes and amen in Christ. So all the promises. So you take Malachi chapter 3, and it says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. We are still in this world system, and there is a devourer that Jesus called him the thief. Isaiah called him the spoiler. 
Malachi called him the devourer. He wants to devour you, especially because you carry the name of Christ. And by you, ali- by you aligning your life and the substance of your worth with God, God promises that not only do you, well, you, you've got authority to rebuke the devourer, but in your weakest moment when you don't feel you've got authority to rebuke the devourer, he'll rebuke him for you. The promises in that scripture in Malachi will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I mean, the, the door of heaven's wide open. His name is Jesus. Goodness knows what the windows mean. Revelation, encounter, I don't know what it would be, but my word is going to be good. Because we want all of heaven on the earth, don't we? So this thing that's been scrawnily, narrowingly misunderstood is such a blessing if we can take hold of it and can change everything. It's all about the heart. It's all about extending the life of the kingdom. And it really is down to the practical bare bones of this. I serve, I teach, I give, I live, I love, because that's the way of Christ. And tithing's part of that. Would you stand with me, please? It's just interesting that we broke bread today, and the first mention of bread and wine together in this covenant action is in the same passage where it mentions tithing and Theologians tell us that the, there's an important law called the law of first mention. When something's mentioned for the first time, it's significant. And we find that bread and wine symbolizes right the way through the New Testament this meal, this covenant meal, which remembers Jesus' death till he comes, remembers all we've obtained through Calvary till he comes. And the first mention of bread and wine is right by tithing. What does tithing remember? The word remember means to mark a mention. What does tithing remember? If, if if bread and wine, as we partake it, remembers his death, can I suggest to you what tithing makes us mark and mention? His resurrection life. Because the priest in the order of Melchizedek comes to dispense to us endless life. And that priest is the one that receives our tithe. So just as bread and wine remembers his death till he comes, so the action of our heart giving to God, not just tithe of money, but tithe of time, tithe of life, tithe of adoration, It remembers that we have the uncreated life of God within us, the resurrected life of God within us, and we are more than simply a human being. As Paul said, you are not mere men. Father, I just thank you for every single person in this room. Father, I thank you that they are not mere men. They are not mere human beings. They are recreated, an entire new species of being. And therefore, how they handle their time, how they handle their heart, how they handle their money has an eternal ramifications. And Father, for the times we've messed up, we ask forgiveness. And we say thank you that there is forgiveness in you. And Father, for the times we've, been, we've, we've misunderstood, we ask that you would enlighten us with fresh revelation. And Father, we just want to be those that people say about them, we've been with Jesus. And they can see that through every area of our lives. Father, Help us to be the kind of people that we already are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a good day, but I believe it's important that uh, we maybe take another look at this thing that's so misunderstood. Bless you. This house, we are real. 
but we also make mistakes and when we do we make sure we say I'm sorry we give second chances to anyone we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive we also do loud and we give the best hugs we are family and in this house that means we love